I'm going to talk about some, some very big things. I think they're important. Let me begin with the first thing. 2020 was not a normal year. 2020 was a watershed year in the history of the United States. It was a watershed year in the history of the democratic world. And I fear that people do not necessarily understand what exactly happened in 2020. 2020 saw a change in what we can call political paradigm, a change in the basic framework that guides public life in the United States and in Britain and across Europe. We all know what woke neo-Marxism is. I'm not sure we all understand that in the year 2020, when the New York Times started firing employees, senior employees, because they were liberals, okay, because they believed in freedom and equality, you know, like, like most, most Americans have for a long time. When the New York Times started firing people because they were liberals, something fundamental changed in America. When Princeton University uh, canceled Woodrow Wilson, you know, probably the, the, the greatest liberal thinker of the last 100 years. I myself am not a great fan, but if you're a liberal, Woodrow Wilson is one of the great figures in American history. And in 2020, Princeton University canceled him, took his name off the Woodrow Wilson School, Wilson College, and he's gone. Now this happened as we, you know, we, we've been hearing for days, I'm not going to keep giving you examples, you've heard plenty of examples and you know enough of your own. What I want to look at is what happened to the framework within which America lives in the year 2020. I'm going to be very simple about liberalism, you know, if you, if you want more detailed uh, discussion you can, you can read my books or other people's books. I want to say this very simply. If you're a person who thinks that basically you, what you need to know about politics is that individuals are free and equal by right, that, that, that they accept obligations by consent, if, if you think that that's basically a good summary of what you need to know about politics, then, then, then you're a liberal. You may be a progressive liberal, you may be a classical liberal, you may be a libertarian, but you're a liberal, okay, in a general sense. And liberalism, in the sense that I just defined it, was the, the public philosophy, the public religion, the framework in which everything was done in the United States and across Europe for 70 years since the end of, the world, since, since the end of world War II. You know, we can argue about how good that was and how bad that was, that there were good things about it and bad things about it, but you have to understand that what happened in 2020 is that hegemonic liberalism came to an end. Up until that point, you had to be a liberal to be a person in good standing in political society. After 2020, you don't have to be a liberal anymore. In fact, if you're like, like an anti-Marxist liberal, if you're, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're some, somebody like, like uh, Andrew Sullivan or Barry Weiss, if you're, you're one of these people who actually thinks that, that the old liberalism should continue, then you're in a tiny minority. You've been dispossessed, right? And what we're watching is a completely new America. 
And no, we haven't ever seen anything like this before, a completely new America in which liberalism has been replaced by this woke neo-Marxism as the dominant ideology. Now it's true, it's still consolidating its power, it's still possible to fight, but that's what we're watching. And the question we need to ask ourselves, I mean, I think, you know, there's really only one question, is what force is strong enough to be able to stop that? Now I'll give you a hint, it's not liberalism. Because if liberalism had been strong enough to stop it, then it wouldn't have happened. It's during the 70 years in which liberalism was the dominant philosophy, the dominant public religion of the United States, that's how we got here. And for us to be able to think productively about what do we need to do, what do we need to do next, how can we fight this, we've, we've got to be real serious about asking the question, not only what did the left do wrong, you know, all the things that I dislike about the left, all the things I dislike about woke neo-Marxism. We could go on for days, but if we really want to know what we should do, we've got to ask what did we do wrong? We've got to ask what did I personally do to bring about this situation that we're in now? Because if we don't think in that way, if we don't fix ourselves, then things are just going to keep going in the direction that they've been going. Now, I just, I, I, I almost never comment about uh, reviews, of, reviews of my books. I feel like, you know, some, I, I wrote my book, I had four years to write it. Somebody has, you know, has an opinion on the subject. They have, to, they have the right to publish their opinions about my books without me, like, you know, trying to argue back. But I'm going to make just an exception in the, this one case, because John Bolton wrote this view of, a review of my book on conservatism, and he opens it by saying, I almost put the book down when I got to page eight and I read the word repent. And the reason I'd like to respond to this is, is, is not, I mean, I, I'm not gonna change John's opinion about this. He doesn't wanna repent. <laughs> But a conservative, if you're a conservative, that is, if you're devoted to a life of conservation and transmission, if you know that all good things run down and that they need to be repaired in order to be conserved, and this is what all the, the history of conservative thought is about, is, is, is about conservation and transmission and things run down and how do you restore, how do you repair things so that they return even greater than they were before. If you think in those terms, which by the way, I think you have to if you're, uh, if you're any kind of Bible-oriented you know, person, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, you have to think in these terms, that, that human things run down and they need to be repaired. And the only way that you can tell how to repair things is if you examine what you've done and you think about what you've done wrong and you repent your errors and your sins and you change. Right? And that's what America's going to have to do, or it's just going to keep going in the direction it's been going. Now, repentance and change, look, they, they can happen at different levels. And, on, and there's all sorts of different aspects of this. But I want to focus on one aspect. Okay? I want to ask, 
what was the framework of American life? What was it, what was it like before, liberaliz- before the two world wars, before liberalism became the official public religion? It wasn't always the official public religion. It used to be that the, the public religion of America was Christianity. It used to be that the Bible provided the framework for life in America, and people knew that. Everybody knew that. If you, like, you read FDR speeches or Eisenhower's speeches, and they're like from a different planet. They, they think that Christianity is the framework for life in America. FDR thinks that, that democracy comes out of the Bible. He thinks that national independence comes out of the Bible. He thinks that, uh, that when America goes to war in World War II, that it's on the side of the God-fearing democracies. Who, you know, who talks like that anymore? That America is a God-fearing democracy, and that's what, what's the difference between America and Nazi Germany is that, is that America is a God-fearing democracy and Nazi Germany is not. That's FDR. That's in a nutshell. That's FDR's worldview. And most people thought like that. Now, we've lost that. When do we lose it? We lose it when, after the Second World War, when, when uh, liberalism takes over you know, both political parties and ideas like you know, we don't, need, we don't need God in the schools. We don't need Bible in the schools. We don't need prayer in the schools. Right? And, it's all, and, and, and the Supreme Court, beginning in 1947, has this project of eliminating religion from public life in the United States, just like that. Now, it's been two generations, two, three, okay, we're the third generation. It's been three generations since the elimination of God and prayer and Bible from schools in America. And it didn't just stay in the schools. The elimination of God and prayer and, and, and Bible from the schools, it had a very particular effect. You send a kid to school every single day of his or, or her life, and they are in an environment where all the people that they respect, the teachers and the principals, everybody who they respect gets through the day without ever mentioning God and without ever quoting the Bible and without ever saying a prayer. And guess what? Christians do not emerge from that school system. Jews do not emerge from that school system. People, the, the framework is liberalism. And the content of liberalism, you can say, it, you can say it's, it's noble in a way that the teachers say, look, you have to think for yourself. That sounds noble. Look, you know, don't be bound by the past. You, know, you, you can be anything you want to be. That sounds noble. Look, you make your decisions. All the parents say, my father said this to me too. Listen, my son, you know, the important thing is, is that you do what makes you happy. No, so okay, so, so there's something to that. But what happens when you raise two, three generations of children and they don't have any yardstick other than, my lovely child, you should do what makes you happy? Well, I'll tell you what happens. What happens is that the minimum things that are necessary for a life of conservation and transmission get cut off at the root. Because that's not what people used to say. What people used to say to their children or, or the, ki- the kids they were teaching in school or the children they were raising, what they used to say is, you have to grow up honoring your parents, honoring your grandparents, honoring your country, honoring, honoring good people, honoring the minister, honoring scripture, studying scripture. You, 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 you get married, you honor your wife. You, I mean, 
that's the way people used to talk. In some, some religious communities, people still talk like that. It's like, a, you know, you can go on a, on a field trip to, to, to meet people like, you know, where I live in Jerusalem, where people still talk like that. We can sell tickets and you can come and, and see what it's like. Now look, this is, look, it's funny, it's very funny, it's, it, it's a tragedy because conservatives live like liberals. Conservatives are raised like liberals. You can have all the thoughts that you want about, you know, what kind of policies, with pro-family policies, but if you do not grow up in a society that has the guardrails, that is built around scripture, that is built around the transmission of traditions and their repair and their restoration, if you're not in part of a community that's built on repentance, if you're not there, you're leading a liberal life, and, and, and all your conservative wor words aren't going to help. They're not going to conserve anything. And this is what young people say to me every time that they get a chance to Q&A with me. Every single time. They say, why should I be a conservative? Conservatives haven't succeeded in conserving anything. And that's the place that everyone in this room has to begin their repentance, because it's mostly true. I mean, there are some exceptions. Look, Dobbs was a spectacular victory. 50 years of hard work. They, they conserved something. They conserved, they did. They conserved the, the, the belief in the value of life and, and, and the restoration of the American Constitution that took place just these last few months. Is, it, it's awe-inspiring. And it should teach everybody what, 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 what's possible when you're devoted to conservation and transmission and restoration and repentance. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a great example, but there aren't too many other examples. There aren't too many. And if we want to, we want to face the woke with something that is as powerful as their Marxist revolution, then the thing that we're gonna have to face them with is an actual life of conservation and transmission. In other words, the things that we've lost, and I'll tell you what they are, God and scripture and nation and family and man and woman, loyalty, honor, sanctity, these are just words to most people today, but they're real things and without them you cannot have a society that conserves and transmits and restores and repents when it needs to. If you don't have those things, then you have at best liberalism and now we know that liberalism collapses into Marxism and it can't fight. It doesn't have the antibodies. It's not capable of resisting. Why? Because when, when, when you're raised as a liberal and your, your parents and your teachers tell you, look, the important thing is to do what makes you feel good, to do what makes you happy. You, 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 have, you, know, you know everything that you need to know in order to make choices. I, I, know, I believe you. when that's all you hear, then, there is, then, then freedom becomes everything. It's important, but freedom becomes everything. And the main thing that you're free from is from the past. You're free from what previous generations thought. In other words, you're freed from God and scripture. You're freed from parents and nation. You're freed from man and woman. You don't need to care about those things anymore because you can do what feels good. You don't need to care about man and woman. Loyalty. Honor, sanctity, these words cease to mean anything. And liberals don't have the power to bring them back. 
Who does have the power to bring them back? Well, I'll tell you, I, th I think I know who has the power to bring them back. There's still tens of millions of Bible-believing Christians in this country. And if you want to know, you know, this is, this is the biggest NatCon that we've done. And I'm, I'm really excited, but I'm not just excited about the, the size of it. I'm excited about who's coming. I'm excited about, about this entire new wing of young Protestants who've decided to stand up and fight, and they're here, they're, there's tens of them. Yeah, I'm excited about you guys. I'm excited, no seriously, these are high quality people, they're serious people. I'm excited about the Catholics who are looking over their shoulders and saying, we gotta put on a good show at NatCon because we don't let those Protestants just take over. I'm excited that here and there, you know, this is the first time, like, we had a minion, there's, like, there's, like, actually, like, 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 religious Jewish guys with, like, beards and people, they're walking around. I'm excited. Now, look, these communities, the communities that you represent, that you're very soon going to be the leaders in, these communities, they have the ability to teach America to repent. They have the ability to teach these basic ideas to America again. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm specifically talking to all you, you newcomers from, from, from different Christian denominations and Orthodox Jews. Here's the thing. You are going to have to change your lives. You, the ones who I, 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 I'm praising and I'm welcoming, you're gonna have to change your lives. Because if America's going to change, it's going to change because you decide that Christianity is going to be restored as the public culture of the United States, or at least those parts of it where it's possible. Now, now I know, I know that, that a lot of people don't believe this is possible. I was just on some, some radio program where somebody started saying to me, you're gonna lose, you have 25%, you can't possibly. All right, look, let me just say something as a religious person. Religious person is a person, if you've studied the Bible, if you do this seriously, you know that a religious person is somebody who understands that our, our ability to make plans, we can work as hard as we can, we can purify our hearts, we can lay plans, we can work for them, we can fight for them. In the end of the day, at the end of the day, God decides what's going to happen, not us. And that means that this country, which, please do not be mistaken, this country is on the brink. It's at the very end of, the, 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 of what decadence can, can sustain. It's at the very end, it's on the, it's on the brink, it's on the edge. This country is in a moment where it's do or die. It's just not gonna keep going like this. Now, America can be Sodom, it can be a nation that has gone so far from anything that's sane, common sense, biblical, moral, traditional, honorable, sacred. We've gotten so far that God's just going to put, put an end to it. Maybe that's what's about to happen. That's what happened to Sodom. But America can also be Nineveh from the 
end of the, the, the book of Jonah. Nineveh was as bad as Sodom, but in Nineveh they repented. Right? The king lead the, led the repentance, and God spares them. And the prophet says, what are you doing? They're so evil. And God says, leave this to me. I'm sparing them. That may happen too. That could happen here. It could be that if there's a powerful enough Christian movement aided by you know, some of us who are not Christians but are supportive and want to see the scripture, the values of scripture reestablished, it's possible that that is actually going to bring a change that we cannot foresee. Right now we look weak. Right now we, we look like it's David and Goliath. But in the end, it's God decides whether David's, the stone that David slings fells Goliath or not. What he needs us to do is our part. And our part is to repent. And the first part of repentance is that Christians, Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, Orthodox Jews cannot continue to sit on the sidelines and allow the country to continue in the direction that it's going. And people say, look, we're not the majority anymore. You don't need to be the majority anymore. There are plenty of places in this country, states in this country, where a Christian majority can still be mustered, where a pro-Christian majority, an alliance to support Christian values can be mustered. And I'm telling you, from what I'm hearing from non-religious people, they see the Marxism coming. Many of them understand that liberalism has failed them. And they're looking for an answer. They're looking for you. They want to be convinced by you, young Christians, who have a vision for how it can be an alternative. And I'm telling you, the only thing that is strong enough to stop woke neo-Marxism, the religion of woke neo-Marxism, is the religion of biblical Christianity. That's the only thing. Now look, every one of us is going to have to do things here. Every one of us has to repent. Regardless of whether you think that, you're a, you, that you know the Bible, well, you don't. You haven't studied enough. Almost nobody's studying the Bible enough. And most people don't even open the Bible anymore. Let's understand this. We're at the end of 200 years of the prestige of the Bible being smashed. It wasn't kicked out of the schools because of some highfalutin idea. It was kicked out of the schools because its, it, because it's standing in society had weakened to such a degree that people could imagine that you could actually spend a week in school and not learn any Bible and not mention God and everything would be okay. Right? It's not just the schools. The, look, every single one of you gets on, everyone in this room probably gets on Twitter and, and Twitter is the mind of America. Twitter is where you show off your little bit of America's mind, for better and worse. And when you get on Twitter, you, a lot of you, God bless you, you're good intellectuals. You, you do things like, hey, I've got a stack of 10 books I'm reading this summer. And you take a selfie with your 10 books. And everybody's supposed to be, oh, Virgil, whoa. Haven't met anybody reading Virgil recently. I've seen hundreds of these. Have you ever noticed that never once, never once will anyone, none of you, regardless of what you believe, never once will somebody put the Bible in that stack, much less on top of it. Never once. Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because all of you, regardless of your personal feelings, you live in a world in an educated elites 
where it's embarrassing to say that you're reading the Bible. It is. That's why you don't do it. Why is it people, people are sitting there, they're, they're, they're taking photographs of the alcoholic beverage they're about to consume. Have you, when was the last time somebody put up a picture, you know, we're having a secret Bible study session and here's the people in the Bible study session. Never, never, because you think that you're on the right side of things, but you're not, you need to repent. You do, and when politicians come and they stand up on this stage, and God bless them, I love these politicians who've been here, but pay attention. Do they mention the Bible? No, they don't mention the Bible. They'll never mention the Bible. Do they mention God? Yes, yes, they do. They'll always say the same thing. Well, our rights don't come from government, they come from God. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, can, can you tell me when did God give you those rights? Can you explain it? When, where, when and where did God give these rights that these politicians are always talking about? I wanna know. No, there's, there is an answer to this question. You know, maybe you won't like my answer, but I'm gonna give you my answer and, and later you can get up and say I'm wrong. Here's my answer. We got these rights from God in the Bible. In the Bible. The Bible is the first document in the history of human civilization where it says that every human being is, has a right to life. That every human being has a right to property. It's never been, it wasn't said anywhere before the Bible. Every person has a, a right to equality before the law. That's scripture. It's explicit scripture. Every person has the right to, to, to live a life without being slandered in public. That's scripture. Every individual has a right to be honored by his children, his, her children and grandchildren. That's scripture. Every individual has a right to the sanctity and sacred, sacredness of his or her family without it being defiled by outsiders. That's scripture. Every individual has a right to the Sabbath. That's scripture. Every nation has a right to look for its freedom through political independence. That's scripture. Now, when does anybody, when does anybody say these things? I mean, I, I think they're obviously true. You know, for several hundred years, the great thinkers of, of, of Western civilization, they, they knew that, that the Ten Commandments are natural law. That's the way they taught it. That's the way all your ancestors talked about it. But now, look, I, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I believe in you. I believe in you, but I want, I, I want the upgraded version. <laughs> I do. I want the version that stops being afraid to be Christian, fully Christian in public, to be an Orthodox Jew who stands up, stands up in front of the public and says, the Torah has something to teach the world, and I'm going to teach it. And if we can move to having people like that, if we, if we see generous, ambitious, decent, big-hearted intellectuals and politicians and businessmen, anybody who's a public figure, standing up and saying, that's it, we've had enough. We are going to restore 
Christian public life in this country, and it's going to begin in my state. Now, that might not happen if it's California or Massachusetts, but there are many places in this country where it can happen. And the only thing that could actually stand in the way, there's only two things. One is the Supreme Court, and we'll have to deal with that. And the other is you being afraid and feeling like you're wrong to say this was a Christian nation historically and according to its laws, and it's going to be a Christian nation again. It's going to be a biblical nation. When you stop being afraid, that's the day that we start rolling back woke neo-Marxism. That's the day that woke neo-Marxism has met its match. That's the day that we see the future. <laughs> Repentance has to happen at a national level and has to happen at a personal level. But the two things are related. Donald Trump affected the way tens of millions of people talked and thought in this country, right? So did Obama. Obama affected tens of millions of people the way they talked and thought. Don't ever pretend that the politicians don't have a huge impact on what we think and what we believe and the way we say things. They do. They have a vast impact. But the public also has an impact on the politicians. And it's going to have to be at both places. We need a national repentance and it's going to start at home. Repentance of individuals, repentance of congregations, repentance of religious movements. And those movements, don't ever forget, that kind of an uprising, an upswelling of Christian sentiment in America, that's actually what put Ronald Reagan in office. Ronald Reagan was not elected by the, by, by the vast hordes of libertarians. Ronald Reagan was elected by Christians who said, we're taking back our country. Now, we haven't seen anything like that for 40 years. And we're going to see it now, again, today, beginning here. God bless you.